Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning, verses 1 through 12. We're continuing in our message series, Lessons from a Growing Church. And uh, we're seeing what lessons we can learn uh, as, as a church, what lessons God has for us as a church uh, as we study Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, as we learned in chapter 1 of this letter, Paul had uh, just an amazing ministry among the Thessalonians, a very effective ministry. Uh, we saw in week one how the church had been birthed through the power of the gospel, and then we saw how the Thessalonians uh, responded to the gospel with faith and with joy, even under persecution. Uh, we saw how they demonstrated the visible results of the gospel in their lives. Uh, uh, they had a verbal witness for Christ. There was radical life changes. And so it makes you wonder, well, what did Paul do? What was it that made Paul's ministry so effective? And that's the question you're asking as you come out of chapter 1, and lo and behold, as you step into chapter 2, what does Paul do? He tells us what he did. <laughs> he tells us what were his principles of ministry. What principles of ministry did he follow that were so effective with the Thessalonians? And you know what? They're the same principles that God tells us to follow today. And so, yes, lessons from a growing church. We're going to learn uh, these lessons of effective ministry from the Thessalonians. So in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and uh, we're going to go through verses 1 through 12 in the message, but we're just going to read verses 1 through 4 as we get started. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Paul writes, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered... And been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we uh, read, uh, as we study this passage this morning, Lord, we, we want to learn what you have to say to us. Lord, we want to learn how we can do better in ministry. And so, Lord, open your word to us. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your, in your word this morning. And Holy Spirit, change us that we can be more effective for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, this is probably a lousy question to start the, ser the uh, sermon off with this morning, but how are your investments doing? Oh, boy, that hurts, doesn't it, right? It's been a rough year, isn't it? If you're like most of us, both up and down, right? You know, we generally make one of two mistakes when it comes to investing. Either we don't invest at all, that's one mistake some people make, right? Or we don't invest wisely. And when it comes to ministry, we often make the exact, exact same two mistakes. Either we don't invest time in ministry at all, we just say, well, we'll let everybody else do it, right? So we don't invest at all, or we do not invest our time wisely. You know, people spend a lot of time on their earthly investments, don't they? 
They hire financial advisors. They read the stock reports. They track their portfolios. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? But we must always remember that financial investments are for this life only, whereas ministry investment has eternal value. When you minister, you are investing in people's lives for all of eternity. And what could be more important than that, right? And yet there are so many people who either do not invest any time in ministry, I'll let everybody else do it, or they do not invest wisely. Now, clarification right up front, ministry is not just what the pastors do, okay? Pastors do ministry, yes, but it's not just what the pastors do. We have a saying at our church. We like to say that our church has several pastors, okay, but many ministers. In other words, everyone here is supposed to be a minister for Christ. We're all supposed to serve in the church together. And you know, we spend a lot of time ministering in our church. Every year in our church alone, you've got over 100 people uh, investing thousands of hours in ministry. And the more, now, now take that, that's just one church. Now multiply that by all of the churches around the world. That's a whole lot of ministry that churches are doing, isn't it? And the more ministry taking place, the more critical the question becomes, are we being effective, right? Are we being effective? Are we, yeah, we're investing time for the kingdom of God, but we are investing our time wisely. Imagine investing years of saving towards your retirement, and you get to the end and you find out that you had not invested wisely, that your investments would have been far more effective if at the very start you had simply followed some time, simple, time-honored principles of financial investing. I mean, if you're going to invest all that money over all that time, wouldn't you want to know what those principles are in advance? Same way with ministry. Imagine investing years of your life in ministry and then at the end discovering that you had not invested wisely that you could have been far more effective in ministry if you had just followed some simple, time-honored principles of ministry. And that's what we're going to talk about today, uh, how we can do that. Here in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul gives us some investment advice. And in these 12 verses, he tells us the basic principles of effective ministry. And he does this by reminding the Thessalonians, he says, hey, do you remember how we did it among you? Do you remember how we ministered to you? Six times in 12 verses, you can look for them and count them, Paul calls upon their knowledge or memory of his ministry among them. In other words, he's not telling them anything they don't know. They saw it all, right? He's simply reminding them of these principles that they themselves witnessed when Paul was there. So how do you do it? How do you minister effectively? We're going to look at three things this morning. Effective ministry requires, number one, unwavering commitment to the truth. Number two, genuine love and concern for people. And number three, godly example and exhortation. To put it even more simply, effective ministry is based on truth, love, and godliness. 
So there's an outline in your worship guide. If you'd like to take that out at this time to follow along and maybe jot down some notes as we go, let's get started. First of all, effective ministry requires unwavering commitment to the truth. God is truth, and therefore effective ministry uh, requires truth. Every aspect of your ministry must correspond with truth. We're going to look at three things under this. Your message must be true, your motives must be pure, and your methods must be honest and completely above board. Let's take a look at each of these. First of all, your message. Your message must be true. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me now. Paul writes, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. First thing Paul reminds them of uh, is how they had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi. We learned about their suffering last week, right? We talked last week how they'd been beaten, flogged, imprisoned with stalks around their feet. Paul says that they were also insulted. It's a word that means to be shamefully treated. And they were shamefully treated. They were unjustly arrested. They were stripped of their clothing. They were sent to prison without a trial. All of this was in direct violation of Paul's Roman citizenship. In fact, when the prison officials came to release him the next morning, Paul refused to be released without an escort. That's how great the insult he had suffered as a citizen of Rome. And why did they suffer all this abuse in Philippi? Were they going around stealing stuff or breaking people's windows? No, it's because they shared the gospel. All the suffering and shameful treatment, it was all fresh in their minds as they're entering Thessalonica. It's like, man, we just did this in Philippi. Look what happened. If we do the same thing here, the same things might happen. But you know what? They remembered something else that happened in Philippi. They planted a church. People came to know Christ. The gospel was going forth. And so they came into Thessalonica. They took a deep breath and they dared to tell the gospel here as well. That phrase translated dare to tell means to speak boldly or freely. Without any hesitation or reservation, Paul preached the gospel in Thessalonica, despite what they had just suffered in Philippi. Maybe you've been hurt in ministry in the past. Maybe you've suffered or been insulted in different ways. And maybe you're tempted to hold back in the present. Paul's example says, no, you move forward. We dare to tell you the gospel. In spite of strong opposition, it's a, a word used of a struggle or contest in a stadium. We, we get our English word agony uh, from this word in the Greek. It's a picture of an athlete struggling to win a contest or a race. You can picture a runner you know, just you know, straining for the finish line or a gladiator uh, fighting for his life. That's how strong this opposition was at Thessalonica. And Paul just kept going. You go, how do you do that? How do you share the gospel, especially after such a painful experience in Philippi? And Paul knew that if he was going to minister for God, he knew what? That his message must be true. Only the truth of the gospel could bring salvation to the Thessalonians. And Paul, so Paul says, with God's help, we dared to tell you the truth. We told you the gospel. We told you his gospel, God's gospel. It's God's gospel, and it's God's message. That means we dare not alter it, 
add to it or water it down. So that's the first part of an unwavering commitment to the truth is your message must be true. But you know what? Also, your motives must be pure. Your motives must be pure. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me now. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. And so the effective minister for Christ must have pure motives. There can be no selfishness, no hidden motives, no impurity. The word Paul uses for impure here, it's the general word for uh, uncleanness. Uh, The Bible uses it most often of sexual impurity, but really it refers to any type of uncleanness. It's saying that our motives need to be pure, sincere, free from self-interest, free from the drive for personal gain. Paul says in verse 4 that he has been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. It's a word that means to be approved after a careful examination. So God looked at Paul's life. He examined his life and his motives carefully. And then God granted him the, the, the good ministry seal of approval. Okay, God put his stamp of approval on Paul. And how does God do that? How does he examine us for ministry? Same way he did with Paul. He tests the heart. He tests our hearts. Hebrews 4.13 says nothing. And all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In order to minister effectively, your heart must be in the right place. And yeah, you may fool other people, but God tests the heart. So your message must be true, your motives must be pure, and thirdly, your methods. Your methods must be completely honest And above board. Look at verses 5 and 6 now. Paul says, You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. And so your methods in ministry must also correspond with the truth. You must deal honestly with people. We need to be transparent in ministry. Paul says, we never used flattery. We never put on a a mask. Flattery here is not just simply saying something nice to someone. I hope you say nice things to people all the time, make them feel good and all that. But no, flattery here is is when you say things that other people want to hear in order to gain influence over them for your own purposes. And flattery has no place in Christian ministry. There's also no room for deceit or fraud. Paul said, we never tried to trick you back in verse uh, 3. Here, verse 5, he says, we never put on a mask to cover up greed. Sadly, I wish I didn't have to say this, but sadly, not every ministry out there, folks, is completely honest or above board. I wish they all were. But you know, there are people in so-called ministries who will tell you what you want to hear in order to get what they want to get. And they will lie to you, they will deceive you, they will trick you, they will use you. They will never tell you up front about their deceitful methods, because because if they did, you'd never support them, right? So what do they do? They did what Paul didn't do. They put on a mask. 
They pretend to be concerned for your welfare and then they use you for their own advantage. If they do not repent, God's judgment will be severe. And how did Paul make sure that he kept his own methods honest? The answer is found in verses 4 and 6. He said, we, we weren't trying to please men, but God. He says, we're not looking for praise from men, not, not from you Thessalonians, not from anyone. How do you keep your methods honest? You work for God's approval rather than man's approval. You seek to be faithful rather than popular. So that's our first principle this morning for effective ministry. It's our longest one. We won't spend as much time in the others. But effective ministry requires unwavering commitment to the truth. Second principle for effective ministry is this. Effective ministry requires genuine love and concern for people. Genuine love and concern. God is love, and therefore you cannot minister effectively apart from love. See, you've got to be committed to people as well as to the truth, right? There's a, not a couple of things here we want to look at. First, you, you need to deal gently with people. Gently. Look at the end of verse 6 now into verse 7. Paul writes, as apostles of Christ, we, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. Paul was an apostle. He could have waltzed into town and demanded financial support and food and lodging, and people might have even given it to him, right? Instead, he chose to be gentle among them. The word he uses for a mother here is the word for a nursing mother, one nourishing and and feeding her child. The word caring here is a word that means to keep warm, to cherish with tender love, to foster with tender care. Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians was marked by gentleness and tender care as he shared the gospel with them. You need to be gentle with people. Secondly, you must share your life as well as the gospel. I love this one. Verse 8. Paul writes, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. You see, genuine love and concern go well beyond sharing the message of the gospel. Yes, we share the gospel, but effective ministry means investing in people, giving of your time, sharing your life with others. And this was not a burden to Paul. He says it was a delight. He said you became so dear to us. See, one of the fringe benefits of ministry when you get involved in a church and you serve and you minister is that you grow close to other people. And as a mother bonds with her infant child, you grow in your love for the people you serve. You begin to love them with the love of Christ. They become dear to you. You delight to serve them. Why? Because you're sharing your life as well as the gospel. And then the third thing under this point is you must be willing to work hard and sacrifice, to work hard and sacrifice for other people. Paul writes in verse 9, he says, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Once again, Paul could have uh, received financial support from the Thessalonians. In fact, in other places in the Bible... Uh, he says that Christian workers should be compensated for their work, that, that we should pay them for their work. But Paul chose not to do that here. He didn't want to be a financial burden to them. Paul was a tent maker. 
uh, by trade. He had his trade. And, you know, most people in those days, you had to work a full day uh, to pay for your food and lodging. So Paul did that. He worked all day. And then he preached the gospel as well. He worked night and day. He says this was toil and hardship. Toil emphasizes the weariness of the work. You ever get weary in ministry? You can get that way, can't it? Hardship, the difficulty of the work. Wasn't easy supporting himself while carrying on full-time ministry, but Paul did it out of love for the people, for the Thessalonians. It was yet another proof that his love and concern for them was genuine. So that's our second principle now for effective ministry. It requires genuine love and concern for the people you serve. And then thirdly, effective ministry requires godly example and exhortation. Follow me now, just as God is truth, so you cannot minister effectively without truth, and just as God is love, so you cannot minister effectively without love, so also God is holy, and therefore you cannot minister effectively without holiness. There are two things I want us to look at here. First of all, you must live a godly life as an example to others. If you want to minister effectively, you must live a godly life as an example. Paul writes in verse 10, says, Thessalonians, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. So Paul set a godly example for the Thessalonians, didn't he? Here he calls them as witnesses. He says, you're my witnesses. God is my witness that we lived in a manner which was holy, Righteous and blameless. It's interesting, in the original language, these are not adjectives describing their lives. They're actually adverbs describing their behavior, but it's hard to translate it into English that way. You know, we, we, you'd have to say, they be, we behaved holily, right? We behaved holily, righteously, and, and blamelessly among you. But it's important because Paul is not asking them to be witnesses to affirm matters of inward purity. That's something they couldn't see, Right? No, he's saying, you are witnesses, I want you to affirm our public actions. Public actions which you witnessed and observed. You see, it's our actions which define our character. Holiness speaks of your devotion to God. Righteousness uh, deals more with your moral conduct and your dealings with other people. Blamelessness speaks of your public reputation. And Paul says, in all three of these areas, we set a godly example for you. What's the lesson for us? Personal godliness is essential to effective ministry. And once again, sadly, there are too many pastors who had a firm commitment to the truth. They were preaching the truth of the gospel. And they had a genuine love for their people. They loved their people. But then they failed in this third third area of holy living, godly living. You see, we need to practice what we preach or we lose all credibility. And the message we proclaim suffers in the process. In order to minister effectively, you must live a godly life as an example to others. But then you go beyond that. Because God tells us you also must encourage others now. Yeah, you live it yourself, but now you encourage others to live a godly life as well. Look at verses 11 and 12, our our final two verses. Paul writes, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, 
encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And so Paul not only modeled the example of a godly life, he also exhorted the Thessalonians to live a godly life too. Isn't that the whole purpose of ministry? To help people live godly lives which bring praise, honor, and glory to God? Setting the example is necessary, but it's not enough. We must encourage and urge others to live godly lives as well. Paul says, we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Earlier he said we were gentle among you, like a mother with her children. Now he says, we dealt with you as a father deals with his children. The wise father knows what each of his children needs. He works with them accordingly. And in the same way, we must adopt a personal, individual approach to ministry. Yes, Jesus ministered to the crowds, right? But he never lost sight of the individual. So you've got to encourage those who need encouragement. You need to comfort those who need comforting. You need to urge all believers to live lives worthy of God. And what is, what is a life worthy of God? The easiest way to answer that is just to look at what has God done for you? He created you. He saved you. He calls you into his kingdom and glory. Only a life putting God first, living for the glory of God, is worthy of such grace as God has given to us. So we're all called to be ministers for Christ, right? We've got several pastors, many ministers at the church. And so we've got three lessons this morning concerning effective ministry. God is truth, and therefore you cannot minister effectively apart from truth. Your message, your motives, your methods must all be true. If your message is not true, it cannot save. If your motives are not pure, then you lack God's approval. And if your methods are dishonest, you're displeasing to God. Truth. Number two, God is love. And so you cannot minister effectively apart from love. God deals gently with us, and he calls us to deal gently with others. God shared his life with us. He sent Jesus. He didn't just send a message through the prophets. He sent Jesus. He shared his life with us. He calls us to share our lives with others. God sacrificed for us. Jesus died on the cross. He calls you to work hard and sacrifice for others. Love. And then thirdly, God is holy, therefore you cannot minister effectively apart from holiness. Without godly living, your message has no credibility. Without godly exhortation, your message has no ultimate purpose or meaning. Once again, the whole purpose of ministry is to help people live godly lives that will bring praise, glory, and honor to God. And so those are the principles for effective ministry. Three principles. If you leave even one of them out of the equation, your ministry will suffer accordingly. Effective ministry for Christ is based on, here we go again, truth, love, and holiness. There they are, your three principles. And no matter what your ministry is in the church, whatever God is, however God has called you to serve in the church, you will multiply your effectiveness for Christ when you apply these three principles. May God help you, may God help me, may God help all of us apply this word to our lives as we seek to minister for him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, we're so thankful for your word this morning. We uh, 
We're just amazed at the ministry that we saw Paul have among the Thessalonians and uh, in these last couple of weeks we've been studying. And now, Lord, we know how it happened. We know how Paul ministered. Thank you, God, for inspiring Paul to write that down for us. And Lord, it's, a, it's so simple for us. Truth, love, and godliness. These are the things you've called us to. And Lord, as we minister in these three areas, with your help, Lord, our ministry will be effective for you. We will get to the end of our ministry life and say, I invested wisely for the kingdom of God. Praise God. Lord, help us with these things. Help us to apply them in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.